ain't nothing about just his luck. Boy, this ambition. Nothing gets in our way. We on a clear mission. We making plans. We just trying to lift society. Working so hard that we growing notoriety. And we born to drive. Yeah, it's inside of me. Eric, Mark, and James. We giving game. They inspiring. Adam clear with the vision. It's so deployable. You do what you want when you live in life. Unemployable. What is up and welcome to 2024 with the Unemployable Podcast team. Welcome back. Hey, y'all doing? Good to see you guys in the new year. What's up, Eric? Honestly, it's been a whirlwind for me. We've had people from, friends from up from Melbourne and Sydney and just getting some headspace back together. So it's good to be back. Good to be back on the pod. Yeah. Nice to see you wearing tennis shorts behind here. I love that. It's a good look. <laughs> They're a bit extra short just for you. I'll make sure I hike them up a little bit more. <laughs> I can't unsee that. What's going on, James? Yeah, much the same. Good to be back. Um, we... Uh, had a bit of a skeleton staff running over the break, so it was, it was fairly, yeah, still had a finger on the pulse, but had a, a couple of days to actually go off grid, which, which was good, but um, pumped to be back and uh, ready to rock 2024. Yeah, you, you're both home over the break on the Goldie, the stormy Goldie. Yeah, yeah the weather was incredible, eh? like honestly. Yeah. I walked into the studio showing my, my friends from Melbourne, they're like, let's go check out the studio, and I walked in and walked into some water on the floor and a bit on the carpet, I just like... Where's this water coming from, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it was bonkers. The, uh, that Christmas, um, uh, Christmas Day storm was, yeah, that was Bananas. next level. Yeah. Australia is just like changing. Our summer seems to be getting later and later. Yeah. What about you, Mark? How yeah. was your break? All good? <laughs> good to be back in the studio. Yeah. Uh, good to trade in the chainsaw for the mic. I've, I've been out in the backyard. We just set it on a new property. So I've been in that, out in the backyard chopping down trees and uh, doing a lot of handyman work. So yeah, yeah. it's been fun, but... Back in today, and today you are the focus of the pod. Uh, yes. So for everybody at home watching, listening, uh, anywhere that you're consuming this content, first of all, we appreciate you and Happy New Year. But today we are really uh, going to be focusing on Mark because over the break, Mark put up a, uh, a post on Instagram which got all of our attention was, uh, well, maybe Mark, you can give us, what is the headline number? For those of you who don't know, Mark is an Amazon seller. Um, he's now moving into e-commerce outside of the marketplaces. But just give us the headline numbers on your Amazon business in 2023. Yeah, so calendar year 2023, we did uh, 2.67 million USD, which works out to about 4 million AUD. Uh, and we're running at about 20%, on average, about 20% net margin. That is absolutely oh. incredible. And is that predominantly done in the US or Australia or where's the revenue being generated? That's pretty much all done in the US. All done in all the US. US market. So you and Dom living in Melbourne, making four million bucks a year in revenue at yep. about eight, uh, 800,000 net uh, before tax, which is amazing. In Melbourne, selling to 350 million Americans, basically. Um, so if you're interested in that, today's pod is going to be absolute fire for you because we're going to dive right into that journey of how Mark did that. All three of us are going to sort of uh, drill into different aspects of that story. Uh, before we jump in, I just want to ask you guys, have any of you got any compelling or, uh, you know, I think big aha moments coming into 2024 for your New Year's resolutions, things you're changing going into this year? Yeah, I've got one, and the major one, because I think everything else um, peters down from that for me anyway, because we've, you know, for, listen to the pod, we know we, what we did last year, we set up for a big year with business, so it's not really an aha, that's a, a pretty much um, you know, a playbook to roll out, but sleep is my number mm. one, I wanted to conquer sleep, it's been 40, nearly 47 years of, of not doing it too well, so I'm going to try and iron it out this year. Mm. I think sleep's a big one for all entrepreneurs. Yeah. Does anybody else like struggle over the holidays as an entrepreneur? I know... When things shut down, I get like 
a crackhead. Like I, I, I find it difficult to deal when it gets quiet. Probably <laughs> so not like I, a crackhead, but system. <laughs> <laughs> <you know. laughs> but I, but I like, I get uncomfortable with the lack of stuff going on, and I find that I can get some amazing deep work done at that time. But it's really weird how I'm kind of programmed to want to work when others aren't. Does anybody else have that? I find it difficult, like just the communication part, you know, like you can't get a hold of anyone, you can't get any answers. I just don't understand how someone can shut off their email, you know, on December 22nd and not look at it again until January 8th. Like it just, it boggles my mind. Like it's never been me and never will be me. They're and employees, my wife, they're not unemployable. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, my wife uh, always tells me, well, why do you keep checking it? I'm like, you know, I just the way I'm programmed, you know? So yeah, I get very uncomfortable to be honest. I get, when I'm uh, down on time like that, I'm, you know, my anxiety levels definitely spike. Mm. That's for sure. I was going to say that wasn't me this year. I didn't look at my Amazon business from about the 24th to the 2nd of Jan, but I just realized I was trading equities, crypto, and I was working out in the backyard. So I was still doing a hell of a lot to try and uh, quell the anxiety, but I'm, I'm exactly the same. I feel guilty for, for sitting sitting down and doing nothing in the middle of the day yeah so everyone listening at home don't feel bad if you feel awkward when you know because you you after a while after decades of entrepreneurship um you it's kind of uncomfortable when there's not stuff going on constantly i i think we're addicts for sure and uh it's just part of being an entrepreneur yeah the, the secret is entrepreneurship is a sickness <laughs> yeah that's right i mean eric you you were talking uh before we started rolling about your New Year's resolutions, which kind of tie into this. What, what was your big one or two resolutions? So um, I wrote down a couple. One is uh, saying no more often. What happens is I think the more successful you become, and I'm a big networker, right? So I enjoy meeting people and talking to new people all the time. But sometimes that's quite demanding, right? So for me, it's more about time management and productivity and making sure that every meeting that you're going to, every catch-up, there's some kind of outcome from that, right? Because you can go to every meeting and every catch-up, and next thing you know, it just takes so much time. So for me, it's saying no um, a lot more. Yeah, the one, the one thing's a great book around that. It said every yes has to be defended by a thousand no's. Yeah, yeah I, I love that. And to be more present in all situations. My mind ticks over a lot, and it ticks over very quickly. And... It's a big reason for my success, again, having a mind like that. But at the same time, I need to be more present and be engaged, yeah. you know, and just calm my mind a little bit. And my wife reminds me of that probably on a daily basis, which sometimes pisses me off. You know, <laughs> other, at other times, I know that she's right. So, yeah, and that's yeah. why it pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, Mark? Any New Year's resolutions? Yeah, so I, I came into 2023 and my, uh, my number one goal was to live to 120. And that just probably caused more headaches and heartache than, than anything. So I'm trading that one in. And um, my resolution or my main goal this year is to expand my networks um, my social community and make more effort connecting with my with my tribe and uh, sharing in common goals with those tribes. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a, a huge reason for being on this pod as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. fantastic. Yeah, for me, it's uh, I had a couple. Um, uh, the first is I've had two startups in 2023. So I had dry flush the toilets and I've had this. And uh, going back to startup land, I found myself stuck doing a lot of the things that mm. 
it, it's, you know, like I, I, I've joked for years that startups are like having babies. They're easy and fun to make, <laughs> but they're a lot of work to actually raise. So in the last you know, year, I found myself doing regularly things that are red light activities for me. So bookkeeping, you know, just admin stuff and just keeping, you know, all that. So it's, it's getting that help in and, uh, and looking at my life as well and going, what are all the things? I sat down with my wife and said, what are the things, honey, that are, that are red light for you as well? Like what's taking the joy out of your day? And then we sat down and hired uh, Home Help, which has been an absolute game changer. Somebody to do the shopping, the food prep, the going to the post office, or just text her and say, hey, I need you to run to Brisbane to pick something up. All that stuff was being soaked up in by my wife, and it's just you know, kept her away from what she wanted to do. So uh, it was just such a shift, because I, I find with entrepreneurs, there's always a gap between their internal self-beliefs and their external realities so you can be making a lot more money than you were 10 20 years ago but you still go down to woolies and compare the price of beans and you know what i mean it's not a way to live like we could have afforded home help years ago but internally i'm like oh no i'm not there but in the building i live i think everybody has home help except us <laughs> you know and i realized i'm gonna i'm gonna get my head right here and i'm no doubt i'll make a multiple of what i've invested in that home help by having my headspace back and being able to do high stuff that's how I am with uh, hiring an EA slash PA. You know, mm. I've probably needed one for the last five, six years, and I still don't have one. And that's another thing on my list for this year is to actually find someone. Um, so if anyone's listening to this and think they can deal with me and my craziness, yeah. definitely looking for an EA this year. I haven't put up a post or talked to any headhunters yet, but I know that in itself is giving me anxiety thinking about me handing everything yeah. over and it's like because yeah. they know everything about you right like yeah. it's fully exposed think, it's, it's basically I think the key for you is no tennis shorts and you'll find someone <laughs> yes. that's why I'm wearing the tennis shorts <laughs> extra tight ones sometimes it doesn't pay to advertise Eric <laughs> so yeah those are some good good years Mark no I was just going to say I think I think you hit the nail on the head with the sub subtraction like mm. that's something that I did this year before I wrote down my goals and my new resolutions I basically tried to take away all the things that weren't serving uh, and I think that's such a really powerful exercise yeah the yeah. second one we're doing is just opening and making an effort to break bread physically with more people this year um, and new people as well mm -hmm. so um, you know just not being lazy and and making the effort to reach out and so we've set up three dinners already mm -hmm. um, with with some new some older friends trying to look at our friendship groups and go that person needs to meet that person and, um, and, and, and really expanding because sometimes you're consistently trying to pull people along with you, but some people are not able to breathe at that level of oxygen and you need to leave them where they are and you need to create space. To your point about startups and back in startup land, um, I totally feel the exact same way, even though we've bought a company, it's a turnaround, it's a startup, because we're designing so many new processes and so many new systems and you know, it's pretty hard to hire someone to do that because that's where your own creative brain investment comes into it. And then you templatize that, then you can start to hand off. So one of my goals, um, you know, as I said before, it probably wasn't the one sleep was, but it's certainly get off the org chart uh, this year is to be completely out of that business. And, yeah, org chart for those at home, organizational chart change. Yeah, so yeah. CEO or above it, but certainly not in it at all. Mm. Um, and I think um, that's that's uh, we're going through our planning as we speak right now and uh, putting in our OS in our operating system into the company. And once we've got that dialed in by June, I should be starting to step back out. And Such a powerful lesson for all entrepreneurs is that you don't own the business if you are a slave to it, you know, and 
Uh, I learned that lesson in LA actually when I built the animation company. The great thing was I couldn't do any of the tasks and so I was forced to build a real business. I couldn't animate, I couldn't draw, I couldn't you know, be a voiceover actor. So yeah, I think that's a really powerful thing and it does really test, is my business really got the bucks in it to be profitable with other people doing the stuff. Under professional management. Under uh, professional management. And if it isn't, you don't really have a business. Yeah. You have a high-paying job at best. They say the, the, the test is go away for 30 days and don't check an email. If it comes back better, as good if it were better than where you were before, you're good to go. Yeah, and it takes hiring and that's a skill in itself. I extend that to my team as well. I always say to them, you know, part of your career growth is firing yourself so you can promote yourself. Mm. And, and that applies to, to Do you teach them like the, the, uh, Bezos does? at Amazon where he says you got to, your job is to fire yourself and hire somebody 10% better than you. No, that's great. I'm that's embedded that in. into Amazon's I'm ethos. That in. yeah. And I love that. I love that. It's so. harder to do because sometimes when you've always been, I guess not a control freak, but been the entrepreneur and been responsible for everything, you get that little bit of um, when you look at someone and go, are you better than me? Really? Are you? And you go, shit, is that because you're out of your comfort zone? You think, well, I should always be hiring down, not up. So it's really difficult. And we're just about going through it now is how do you hire up? Um, I so literally, I literally say that I challenge people. Like we're hiring right now, social media for this pod, and we put up in the post that YouTube interview with Grace Andrews, saying this is she's the social media manager for Diary of a CEO, and we said she is our gold standard. Mm. And I literally say we're looking for somebody who's going to grab us by the scruff of the neck and lift us up. And I learned that from my former business partner Joe. That's how he always hired, and and he was a gun yeah. at building teams. And so that's what we should always be looking for is being crystal clear about the vision, the standard and the recruitment it all come together in that role. It's so important. But I, I've, I've time and time again, every time, like having Greg here, you know, Greg's definitely a better videographer and, and editor than I'll ever be, but we're doing it with our thumbnails. We're doing it with every aspect of our business. And, you, and, and inevitably the fear is rewarded once that, you get through. That Jeff Bezos thing is an amazing example of a two millimeter shift. Like mm. one of our goals for 2023 was uh, to hire more A-grade players. But, but what does that mean, right? It's very aloof, right? A-grade players. What's an A-grade player? And, and by putting that goal out there, we realised, are we even A-grade players? Mm. Like, it's, it's, it's... And so we're like, it's a bad goal. Uh, but changing it to something like hire someone 10% better than yourself, it's very prescriptive. Yep. It's very clear on how to do it. And the and outcome is you have an A-grade team. Yeah, yeah. And you need to be very thoughtful about the questions you ask in those interviews and the way you describe the job. Yeah. You know, before I put these, these job up, I spent hours just tidying our website up, putting proper photography that we now have up because I'm not gonna go into the marketplace with a B-grade looking mm -hmm. outfit and then I have all my questions which are super probing and would really sort out quality from non-quality quickly. Mm -hmm. And so often inexperienced entrepreneurs complain about the quality of candidates, but they hadn't super underprepared to attract A players mm. in every aspect um, of it. So with that said, um, let's jump in, Mark. What an amazing story. Um, congratulations you. on 2023. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. How long have you been selling on Amazon? When did this journey start? Yep. And where were you when you started? And why did you start? So where, when, and why? Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll go back even further. So, so Dominique and I, my fiance, we were working in the home and land industry. Uh, and I was working weekends and she was working during the week. So we basically didn't have any days off together. And um, 
I thought to myself, you know, we need to do something else because I, I can't keep going on like this. And I said to Dom, I said, we need to start an e-commerce business. You know, one of, the, one of the reasons we were so attracted to one another at the start is because we loved travel. And I'm like, we need to start an e-com business so we can just, you know, travel three months of the year. And she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, how do you think we do that? Like, uh, do we start an Instagram page? And I'm like, I've got no fucking idea. Like, I, I have no <laughs> idea. Um, but there was a, a Gary V seminar that, that was uh, coming to town. And I'm like, oh, I like Gary V. He's into marketing and whatnot. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go to that. I've got tickets to that. And then you appeared at, uh, after the lunchtime break or before the lunchtime break. And you, and you pitched the, um, uh, the Reliable course. And, and we, I just looked at Dom and Dom looked at me and I'm like, oh, we've got to get this. And usually I do not buy those courses in the room. I'm like, oh, I don't know. But we bought it and, uh, and then that was at the end of 2018. And we kind of sat on it for a few months. Uh, and then early 2019, we, we went to a summit. Uh, and I think by mid-2019, we'd sourced our first product. And then October 2019, we sold our first unit and we were actually in Bali uh, on the JFF um, Restoring the Eyesight tour. So we're on that tour and, and I was sitting around a bunch of uh, uh, seasoned Amazon veterans and I'm like, guys, I just, we just did our first sale. Someone actually bought two units of uh, this product that I've never seen from the suppliers that I've never met. And, uh, and yeah, then the, the rest was history. Why, why did you start? Like, what was it? Was it was it just to travel and you were in the corporate world, you wanted to travel. So, so you did cover that. So you started then but, for but, those reasons. But it was, it was more than just being able to travel. It, 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 was, it was, you know, so my, my, my entrepreneurial journey started when I was uh, 18 years old. I went to university, deferred after six months and thought, no, this is not me, for me. I need to, to learn through doing. So we bought a cafe on Bridge Road in Richmond, a little sandwich bar cafe. And we ran that for about 18 months and I realized that it was too small, we didn't have enough seats and basically the business failed. And so that was a process of you know three or four years trying to start different businesses, couldn't get anything to work, got to about 24 years old, had a bit of a breakdown, thought I'm just failing at everything, I'm no good at this, uh, and, and found a job selling land. So for, from, from 24 to about, uh, 29 or selling land and then I left that job went out on my own bought a property development and so had another crack at entrepreneurship entrepreneurship so there was there was something in me from very early on that knew that I wanted to run my own business um, that fire was burning but then at 29 the market turned the property market turned and I basically just got out of the, uh, that development by the skin of my teeth without losing all my capital. And uh, in 2014, went back and started selling land for another five years. So it was this seesawing journey of uh, wanting to run a business, but not being able to make it work. Failing, not having the courage, not understanding that failure is part of the process, that lack of self-confidence, etc. And then, um, you know, in 2018, 19, I just, I, I started getting to that point again where it's like, no, nah, I've got to, got to give it another crack because it's just, that's that freedom. It's that, you know, people say uh, they get into entrepreneurship for, for freedom and then the worst kept secret is that the, your freedom is absolutely gone once you get into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. But it's a different kind of freedom. It's, a, it's, um, it's that unemployable 
Yeah, so you, 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 I mean, your geo, you could be free as in you can run your Amazon business from anywhere, but you're certainly not free mentally and free to do what you want all yeah, the time. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's, you know, we'll probably talk about this later, but it's like having a child. It, it, having a child is 24-7. You can never switch that off. Entrepreneurship is, is a lot like that, especially in the early days. Mm. Um, but there's a, it's a different kind of freedom, the freedom to make your own decisions I think that's a really important driver. Yeah, the, the old uh, own your own business, you, you get the luxury of working half days, you get to work from eight till eight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> the whole half day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for those who don't um, understand the Amazon business model, a lot of listeners probably do, but for, they don't, for those that don't, just break down for us exactly how the business works, um, just from the basics. So you source a product from where? Yeah, so we, we source, uh, I mean, you could source a product from India, Mexico, Vietnam, what we source ours from China at the moment. Okay. Uh, we source the products from China. Um, you do that through Alibaba, is that? Uh, so we've, we've used different sources, but I think the, in, in the initial phases, Alibaba is probably the best to kind of get a lay of the land. Mm. And I think the current, most of the supplies we've found, we've found through Alibaba. So you source a product in China, and we're going to get into the broader category in a minute. One thing I will say up front for the listeners is we won't reveal Mark's actual product. And I know that sometimes when you listen to these things, you go, why won't you tell us the actual product? It's because Mark sells in a marketplace. And what that means is that anybody can source the product and go and compete directly then in that marketplace. His success is not in fight that in in a marketplace that the key is finding the right product it's not in the marketing it's not in the celebrity endorsement it's not in how good you are in social media it's in finding the product and then there's some things under that but we don't give it away because we don't want to put a target directly on mark's product but um yeah just on that like we are looking at starting to build off amazon mm -hmm. and um we've got a second brand in the wellness space that we're about to launch which will we'll launch off amazon and i'd love to come on and, and talk about that wellness brand and, and later down the track talk about this brand in a little bit more detail but we really need to to get the runs on the board off of amazon and really establish our brand mm -hmm. for this first product i think before we'll go into into depth on what it is so you the the, the amazon brand for a moment you're in homewares right yeah it's home it's homewares home. and it's quite a small item so it's not an oversized big item correct yep. which matters because big items cost more to ship and store and if you don't move them uh, fast enough amazon can charge excess storage fees and so on so it's a smallish product in yep. the home category that you source from china yep how many products are you selling to generate four million dollars a year yeah so we have um four hero products and a hero product is basically you could consider it one listing. Now, under those four hero products, we have a bunch of variations, so size and color variations, for example. So uh, one of our hero products has about 60 variations. Uh, another has about 25. Another has about 31. And another has about 14. So okay. I think, I'll do the math on that, but 60, it's about 130 variations or something so like what that. you're saying if it was t-shirts you might have a collared shirt yep. a, a, a t-shirt like that you a might have small large and then medium, and the and variations are, yeah yep. okay so but four main products four main products in different sh sizes and colors yep um and that that's basically on average a million bucks per product yeah. in all the variations well no to give you uh, i mean to give you a bit of an idea uh, i've got the numbers on that so 50 percent of the sales are one product it was our first product uh, 25 percent of the sales are another product 15 percent another and 10 percent another but um one of those 
price, one of those products is a really high ticket item, so it's always going to stay fairly low, and the other one is brand new. We only just launched it. So, so what that is high change. ticket? What is high ticket? Uh, it's selling for five hundred to six hundred dollars. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you got these four products that are coming from China. You order them there. They ship them to Amazon. Yep. And you're good to go from there. Yeah, so they, they, we, we ship to Amazon, um, but we also have three 3PL warehouses in the USA. So, you know, during busy periods, um, it's very hard to anticipate how much stock you're going to need. So sometimes we, we ship stuff to a, to a warehouse in, uh, in the US. Sorry. You all right, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a... <coughs> It was it was right when you said that five six hundred dollar product. Yeah, he just, yeah, he just like, <laughs> and you did four million. <laughs> so I, I got a quick question. Yeah, that um, the one that does fifty percent of your sales, which yeah. is your first product. Do yeah. you feel that that's because it was your first product and it's grandfathered in and it's you know been on there for longer organically or is it for another reason? No, de definitely. So it's it's because it's been on there the longest and it. You know, the longer that you're on um, an e-commerce platform, the more reviews that you're able to build. And so the more reviews, the more social proof. And there's, there's certain tiers, I think, excuse me, within the Amazon algorithm, that once you get to like 100 reviews or 1,000 reviews or 2,000 or 10,000, it, it actually increases the conversion because they're very prominent on the, on the listing page, those star reviews. Now, for some of our listeners that don't know too much about Amazon, because mm. there's a fair few people that I know that watch our podcast that don't know too much about e-com, why Amazon? Yeah, great question. Um, basically, um, in a nutshell, the cost of acquisition for a new customer on Amazon is lower than any other platform. It's, it's lower than... Facebook, for, for my particular products, right? It's lower than being able to, to, to use Facebook ads. It's lower than Google ads. It's, it's lower than all those other forms of advertising. Because Amazon, like Adam said, is a marketplace that has its own in-house advertising, and it's, it's, it's a search engine, right? Amazon is the third or fourth largest search engine in the world, but the difference between Amazon and other search engines is people go there to buy. And so the conversion is much higher than other platforms, and uh, the cost of acquisition is is much higher. So lower. Uh, sorry, sorry, lower. lower. With with those um, the the product suite that you've got, um, having known what they are, um, it's a fairly competitive uh, space. Super competitive. super competitive. So, and I'm assuming having done a little bit of um, I've had a couple of brands on Amazon and sort of understand the, the lay of the land. Um, what was your because the the bank of competitors that would have been there would have been there for quite some time before you. Yeah. So how'd you cut through? What was the and you know without giving too much away, I mean you can only it's pretty hard to patent that product to a degree. You can't. You yeah. can't. And as far as packaging, you can only get so fancy pants. So what was the um what was the number one kicker or driver that you were able to crack the code on to be able to become so competitive and pull four bricks? Yes. Sure. So. <laughs> I'll tell that story because it's, it's, it's probably worth listening to. But my, the first product that we did, I spent six months trying to develop it. And it was, um, <laughs> it was a bamboo charcoal air purifying bag, right? And they were, it was like a fad product that was selling a lot at the time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's get into this. And it failed. We had to basically liquidate it. Dominique chose the product, the first product that we um, decided to sell. And 
Dominique is a really good consumer, um, and I've learned that because every second day there's a parcel that arrives at my door. But basically, Dominique uh, chose that product uh, in a Project 100 competition. So is this the winning product or the one that you had to fire sale? The, the, sorry, the, the first product that we did. Sorry, the first product that, that I d developed failed. I thought we you had to put the blame on the Dom there for a minute. No, no. Okay, so I, should, I need to be clear on that. <laughs> my pro my this product is, failed. This is recorded. Dominique's product succeeded. <laughs> Does she remind you of that quite often? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but she, she's, she's, she has a gift and... and you know, she spends time on Instagram and she, she, can, she can see what is going to be hot. She can see trends before, before they kind of um, uh, become big in the marketplace. And that's probably been a really key part of our success. So I should probably say that up front. You know, having, having Dominique, having that woman's touch and being able to understand the, the avatar has, has been important, especially in our niche. But what, what I was going to say is that, um, yes, so she chose that first product as part of a competition where we had to just pick a hundred or buy a hundred units, put it on Amazon and try and sell it. We did that, it sold out, but we were just making a huge loss. But it was working and we wanted to test the business. We want, like, didn't want to go back to uh, working a job for a third time. And so we, we ordered more units. We ordered another thousand or 3000 units and it was selling, it was working, but it was too cheap at the margins at the price that we needed to sell it at to be competitive with, with everybody else, we were losing money. And that's largely because most suppliers are selling on Amazon. And Amazon incentivizes the cheapest price. So the one thing that, it does have a low acquisition cost, but the one thing that makes Amazon very hard is it, is it can become a race to the bottom in price. So we're going into our, our second Christmas and it's been a year of treading water, breaking even, or even, you know, we're probably in the red, like net-net, we're, we're probably far in the red. And Dominic's, and Dominic says, why are you so stressed? Every day I was stressed, we were arguing, and you know, why are you so stressed? And I said, well, babe, we're not making any money. You know, we're not making any money. We can't sell the product at this price and stay in business. We're going to go broke. And she's like, well, put the price up. And I'm like, oh, you don't understand. If we put the price up, we won't be able to sell. If we put the price up, people will stop buying it. She's like, put the price up. If it doesn't work, we'll do something else. And, and she's great like that. She can really zoom out and just, you know, um, help me when I'm getting caught up in, in something like that. And so we put the price up three bucks or something in October. Uh, uh, I think it was 2020. Kept selling. Didn't change the velocity. So a couple of days later, we put the price up again kept selling. By the end of that Q4, we'd gone from on this product from 29 bucks to 49 bucks. And all of a sudden we were profitable. So well, no, no, no packaging, no, no trigazi, no nothing. Was... No. So, so our package at the, t I mean, everyone's copied uh, the packaging, mm. but at the time, um, no one really had nice packaging and ours was cheap, but it was nicer and it had a bit of metallic on it. Um, so, and we featured it in the hero image, so it stood out a little bit. Um, and we went, we, we did something a little bit different. Instead of featuring the product, we featured the package. And so we learned through that, that during Q4, a lot more people would buy our product than our competitors because it looked more giftable. Mm. So was that, in your opinion, what it was? Or did it sustain after Q4? What, 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 obviously, there's, there's products cheaper than yours. No, it was, we didn't drop the price. So the sales sustained, 
but relative to our competition, they started to gain ground on us again. So we, we you know, for those who understand Amazon, they would know that there's a BSR, which is bestseller rank for each category. And um, for this product, for example, our BSR would hover around 15,000 to 25,000, but during Q4, we'd get as low as 2,000. So relative to all the other products in that category, our BSR improves through Q4 because it's giftable. That's about to say, so you, you've maintained throughout the year just to smash Q4. Yes, but you know, this year, just gone, we smashed January to October and Q4 we actually did worse than we did last year. But we made a change in PPC management right before Christmas and, that, and it was probably more uh, to do with strategy and execution. We got a couple of things wrong at the beginning and now November was really bad. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely, definitely about, you know, our prop, like you asked about profit margins and it fluctuates. Like net-net, it's about 20%, but at some parts of the year it can get as low as 15% because advertising costs get much higher. And then in Q4, the margin gets up to 25, 30% sometimes on some products. How much is Q4 relative to the rest of the year? Uh, I haven't worked it out for 2023, but in 2022, it was 33% of revenue. So 20% margin, $800,000 a year net. It's about 15000 a week, a couple grand a day. What he's saying is your shout for lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all worth it, eh? It, it, it's, I mean, it's... It's definitely worth it, 100%. It's worth it. But, you know, as you know, with, with business, Eric, you're reinvesting money. If, if your business is growing, if you've got the fortunate pleasure of having a business that's growing, then you've got to reinvest a lot of that money back yeah. into the business that, and buy a little bit of, buy a little bit of Bitcoin. Per yeah, month. of course. That leads to my next question. <laughs> How much was your initial investment dollar-wise so, yeah, so when, you, when you first started? So if I'm looking at Amazon... You know, I've got some savings, I'm listening to the story, I'm excited, I'm inspired, and I'm going, I've got 20 grand, or I've got 10 grand, or I've got 50 grand. Yeah. I, I think we got... What does it cost again? I mean, you know, the, the courses cost a couple of grand, so you've you got you to learn. And I think, I think my, my biggest tip would be, if you're, if you're thinking about just getting started, and you've only got $5,000, go and find the best free course on you there's a lot of free stuff on youtube but go and find the best paid course that you possibly can that you know you've had a friend and we we might talk about this but you've had a friend that's been through that course or something and get started on educating yourself because the biggest chokehold to starting a business running a business is always the business owner so you've got to get started and and learn the road ahead but you know i think we started with about ten thousand dollars um and, you know, and then the second order, I think, was about $20,000. And then if you're successful, progressively that grows. So you have to kind of have a plan in place to have more capital at the ready if you want to grow, right? Uh, unless you can find a product that has an ROI of a, above 100%, and then you can self-fund. But all in all, uh, we, we ended up, you, I think, you know, over the course of the first two years, putting in about 800000 of our own capital to get the business to where it is now. Over the first two years. Over so, the first two years. So first it started, obviously, as a side hustle, I'm assuming? Yep. And is this what you guys now do basically full-time? Is this what funds your lifestyle at the moment, plus obviously any of your other investments? Uh, yes, I mean, it fund, funds all our 
living expenses, all of our lifestyle at the moment. Yeah, we, we bootstrap the business using proceeds from property sales, but um, the business now funds our lifestyle completely. Yeah. Now, on your Instagram post, right, when you showed your results of 2023, the graph, um, sorry, uh, the graph, you, you mentioned, the graph doesn't show the stress, the laughter of the moments of sheer, what am I even doing, right? So can you please share some of these moments? So can you give us an example of some of the stress that you've had to, because people are looking at this going, wow, this guy's now making $800,000 a year, but I want to get people to understand some of the stuff that you actually go through, right? So tell us a little bit about the stress. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I still have, I still have moments where even, even this year after we've, we've, we've done those numbers where I look at Dom and say, I can't do this. I'm not good at this. I'm not meant to do this. You know, I, the truth is I fucking hate 80% of entrepreneurship. But, you know, it, it's, it's, entrepreneurship is like, it's, it's like holding up a mirror to yourself and it exposes all your flaws and all your shortcomings and all your, you know, your shortfalls. Do you feel that if Dom wasn't by your side and you were doing this alone, you'd still be in the same position you are today? No, I, I, I can pretty, pretty much certainly say that if I didn't have Dom by my side, I probably would have gone back and started selling land for a third time. Um, it, was, it was Dom that, uh, how do I say it? Dom has a way of not, she has a way of looking at a situation and saying, you know, for example, I'm like, if the, what happens if this doesn't work? You know, I'm going to have to go and sell land again. She says, babe, what's the worst that could happen? We'll, we'll go live with my parents or your parents. Dom has a way of looking at something that I'm kind of stressing about and I think's life or death and saying, it's not that big of a deal. And, and she's definitely been the ultimate leveler and, and, um, you know, I definitely, I don't think we would be where we are without her. And, and, you know, you've heard the saying, behind every good man, there's a better woman. And, and in this case, it's, it's definitely true. Yeah, you definitely I, need the support of your partner. I take my hat off to you because, you know, I've always wanted to work with my wife, Jen. You know, she's, she's so talented and she re reminds me a lot of Dom and how you're explaining Dom. But we don't work too well together, right? Because she doesn't like to... Um, I guess the way when I'm in entrepreneurship mode and I'm in business mode, I'm in business mode. I'm talking to you like we're in business, not like you're my life partner. Right. And she hates that. You know, she hates to be told what to do or, you know, just the way I talk. And I understand that and I can't get out of it. You know what I mean? And she's like, you need to be speaking to me like I'm your wife. I'm not your employee as an example, you know? So how do you, how do you manage going, you know, because I, I seen in some of your notes, you were saying, um, distinguishing roles is a very, very important thing that, that some past um, Amazon sellers have told you. It's, it's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And, and I remember when I, I think I was at an Anthony Robbins event, Date with Destiny, I think it was, and I was sitting next to the guy uh, and I told him I was about to go into business with, with my uh, partner at the time and I think we were engaged. And he said dude he said running a business with your partner is like having a child he said if you can't run a business with your partner you probably won't survive having a child 
And to be honest, running a business with Dom was the, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It was the most challenging thing that I think both of us have ever done. And there, was, there, was, there were times when we were both laying on the ground just in tears crying because of that friction. Because I'm very much like you, Eric. For me, it's like business is my opportunity to go to war. Business is like the suppliers are coming after me. The competitors are coming after me. It's my opportunity to go to war. And I'm using that same language with Dom. And Dom's like... Who the fuck up? Like, who are you? Like, like, don't talk to me like that. Guess you sleep in the spare room. <laughs> don't. But you know, Dom's very forgiving, right? So I never had to sleep on the couch or the spare room. And, and Dom's very patient. And and it sounds like Jen is is very much the same. But this this is the way that we approach it. But um, you know, the the I I I guess we went on a journey of self discovery through this and we our main goal coming back to the common goal was to improve our communication with one another and you know we wanted to travel the world and run a business and so the option we had to work together for that initial period and so we basically had to to learn and we're still doing it you know we we I hope I hope Dom doesn't mind sharing but you know we spend so much money on coaching we spend so much money on courses and I'm like to Dom why don't we see a, a couples counsellor? Like, why would we not spend money on the thing that's most important in our life, which is our relationship? And so we, we see a, a couples counsellor every two weeks. And the, the main crux of what we talk about is communication and listening. And, um, you know, it's hard. And I just want to make all the decisions. But, um, you know, going through this is, is teach, teaching me... in. There's a lot of overlap. So becoming a better communicator in my relationship is also making me a better CEO in my business as well. It's amazing, this journey, right? Like you're becoming such a better entrepreneur, but at the same time, a better husband and a better father all at the same time. And it's like to, to, you know, Adam, Adam, I think you you posted or you wrote me a message once saying that you fucking hate 70% of or 80% of entrepreneurship as well. And it's like, why do we do it? And that, that's the reason that we, we do it. That's the reason that we get up every day and do this because if, if you want to become better and if you want to, to keep progressing in life, that I haven't found anything better than entrepreneurship because there's a, there's a scoreboard and it's there at all times. And I, think, I think a lot of, especially young entrepreneurs, when you're coming up, you have this idea that you should do what you're passionate about and you'll never work another day in your life. What a load of shit. It's, like it is... Business is hard, and I do hate a lot of it. <laughs> you know, there are moments. I mean, how, how do you? Are you the same, James? Or do you yeah. wake up and just love every day? Oh no! Sometimes I don't go to sleep at all to wake up. Yeah, <laughs> thinking about it. Um, but then you could be digging a ditch too, and I'm not that guy. So um, no, it's just a. I think just let it get, getting to deal with that. This is not just like oh wait. Most of it is. But then you have moments that are awesome and, and those moments, like kids, right, I suppose, you know, kids have, you know, it's a lot of work, but those moments of sunshine make it worthwhile. Yeah, I, I, I liken uh, running a business to, to having kids and, you know, to tell you the truth, I think having kids is a hell of a lot harder and not, you know, well, some people do, but you know, most people don't quit on their kids. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think, you know, we, kids... I'm learning this year that kids go through a lot of development in, in, their, in their early um, 
uh, year, year or early years. And then out of nowhere, sometimes they just become obsessed. And you're like, what the fuck happened to my kid? Like what, they were sleeping well and now they've just become obsessed. And what, what's happening is they're going through, and people like to, experts or, or like to call them leaps or regressions where they go backwards. And what's actually happening is that that child is going through a brain development phase where they're able to take on, because their brain is developing so quick, they're able to take on so many more inputs. And that, those inputs create overwhelm and they, and they create an opportunity to learn. I think business is much the same, especially at the start. There's so much coming at you so quick that it creates overwhelm. So in business, we, we have to go through leaps or we have to go through those developmental stages as you've well. Ju- you've jotted some of these leaps down. Let's, let's bring it back to Amazon. Yep. And like, what are these stages of development? Because you started off with your first sale when you were in Bali with the John Forster Foundation doing the eye surgeries, your phone goes bing, bing, you got two sales. To today, that was 2019, October. So it's really just 20, 21, 22, 23. So you've been four years, mm. right? So in four years, you've gone from 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 two sales to, I don't, I don't know how many units I think it's it about 45,000 units, I think. A year, yeah, yeah. yeah, but you're selling today. So what are the state, some of those key stages and I also want to go and loop to this stuff that you've put here, these 18 steps to sure. a rhino in our old community was when you reach 100,000 US dollars a month, um, which are now well past. But but you had some steps there. I want to jump into those. But what are those leaps that you go through from, from that very first beginning of, I want to start an Amazon business or an e-commerce business or pretty much any business a lot of these are going to apply to? Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've basically jotted down eight leaps and I'm, I'm sure there's different leaps for, for, for different businesses. But these are the eight leaps that I think I'm, I've gone through and where I'm at to date. And the first one we've spoken about, it's, it's courage and belief. You know, when that first sale goes off and you realise, oh, shit, this works, um, you know, getting the courage and the, and the belief, that's definitely the first leap. Yeah, but even just starting, it takes courage, right, to say I'm going to do this and to buy a course and to, you know, the minute you put yourself on the hook financially... And that's for many people, when we were selling the Amazon course, they wouldn't tell their friends and family that they'd done that because the minute they told their friends and family, they were on the hook mm. and they don't want to be on the hook. And that takes a lot of courage just to do that. Especially with the um, the duration, like when you buy a course and you go through and you're in the study phase, but then you're in the product research development. That's It's generally, I built now two brands and it doesn't matter how much you try and shortcut it, it's around about eight, nine months. Mm. So you, depending if you just sell a tennis ball, which doesn't usually work. <laughs> um, but so that courage, you've got to have maintained that courage for nine months before you even get to the, onto the playing f- on the field, you know? Yeah, and we're, we're looking, so often we're looking for certainty. You know, will this work? Will I succeed? And, and you know, I think for me um, personally, there was a lot of shame over my previous failures, a lot of shame over my previous entrepreneurial failures, you know, not realising at the time that that was just par for the course and, and it's okay and that, that you're not judged by your failures, you're judged on the net net of where you end up. So, you know, I think, I think that is a huge one and I think a lot of people fall over at that. At, at the that, first one. At that first one. And I think that phraseology, fall over, rather than leaps, I, I look at this list of eight, which I'm going to bring you back to now, if you're looking at a running track and there's eight hurdles that you need to mm. overcome, like with kids, they're awesome when they get past their teenage years and then they start to get married and then they start to have kids of their own yeah. and that phase is amazing. And that's like 
where you are sort of getting toward in your business now where the kids have grown up and it's starting to give you grandchildren, which is money without the headaches. Yeah. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> um, so if there's eight hurdles to get to that point, the first one being the first hurdle you've got to overcome is have the courage to, to start, Cu- right? And the second, the second one you've put here is figuring out your product an avatar. So what is an avatar, just so people know? Yeah. And so and how, what, how, what's that involved? And, and with this one, we, we probably, we've probably done this one backwards. You know, we, we tried to master the product and, uh, and then went and tailored to the avatar. But basically, I think this is an important one. But an avatar is basically the, uh, the personality, the, the picture of your perfect buyer. Um, who's your customer who, who is your customer yeah yep. and you know with our with our new brand one of the one of the shifts that we want to do or make is is really have that that one avatar really just locked in and loaded and then go and develop products for them rather than the other way around because i used to sell whiskey glasses on amazon and other products and in that niche there is the guy who's just buying a whiskey glass to drink whiskey out of a jack daniels bottom bottle in brown's plains Mm. right and the fact he's putting it in a glass makes him classy and then you've got the guy in the eastern suburbs of sydney who will spend five hundred dollars on the right whiskey glass so where in the whiskey glass category are you going to target yeah right so that's that's what you mean by an avatar yes and i think i think uh rick rick rubin said it on a podcast with huberman he said um you know the, the people that are really successful, and then I think um, Elon Musk, you know, tweeted this 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 clip. People that are really successful create products that they love. Mm. They love them, and then other people love them too because they've put so much into them. That's right. So that's a, that's a big shift that we're going to make. And, this and you can win at both ends. You know, like in the whiskey glass market, there was a guy who targeted, you know, redneck Americans and and got a whiskey glass with a bullet going into it. And the first guy that did that crushed it another yep. guy made it with a, a a whiskey decanter made like an ak-47 and you pour it out of you know now the guy in the eastern suburbs is not going to buy that but then at the other end you had norland whiskey glasses which were a science-based method of swirling whiskey mm-hmm. to unleash aromas probably all bullshit but they those whiskey glasses were selling at multiples higher so it's really it doesn't mean because you go to the low end you're going to lose it- you just got to understand who the hell you are targeting. hundred uh, percent. I don't mean necessarily the most premium, but just have that clearly defined avatar. That, that being said, on Amazon, it is important to have margin, and oftentimes you need the high price products to get those built in. And it's not what a lot of manufacturers are good at is 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 brand building and quality products. You yeah. know, and that that's where I think people can have a win so and, th- and that pr- pers- proof of proof of concept as well like sometimes you can start with the cheaper or the the product that hasn't been developed so much get proof of concept get 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 it working mm. and then develop the the product a little bit yeah. further. It, it is tough to win at the low end though because that's what it's, the it's, chinese factories are great impossible. at it's and impossible. so if you can innovate just a little bit and and go with a great brand amazing photography and you're going to find less competition there. doesn't mean no competition ever on Amazon. There's, the only time there's no competition on Amazon is if you've got a patent. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and patents are very hard to, to, to get something meaningful. So first hurdle, you've got to overcome the courage problem yep. and forgive yourself for the past failures, right? Yeah. The next hurdle you've got to overcome is finding the avatar and product. So let's talk about the product. What, this is the thing that people are going to want to know. Like when you look at a universe of Amazon, how do you, from that snow blindness of opportunity how do you start to sort of go oh what's your method 
for identifying what may or may not sell. Is it is it embedded in what you just said? Sell things you're passionate about. I mean, this is there's no wrong or right answer to this, right? Every, I'm sure everyone has kind of a different approach for identifying products. The one thing that I'm noticing on Amazon, especially now, is that nearly 95% of the products that you look at, if you go and run the numbers, they're not profitable. And the reason they're not profitable is because the supplier is selling them wholesale into Amazon. So you can't compete with the supplier. So it does, it does for us, it does feed into what we were just talking about now. You need to create a product in such a way that it is perceived to have more value for your specific avatar. So the, the shotgun whiskey is going to appeal to a certain type of person or the scientific whiskey is going to appeal to a certain type of person. But that's genuine innovation. Yeah. Right? Right. You're talking about there. But it is not easy in Amazon these days to identify those opportunities, right? And, and, and like even our product, like James was saying before, it's the same as everyone else's. So... What is different about it though? Well, the box is a little bit different, but now people are doing boxes. So we had to differentiate our brand. We had to make our brand feel more like the type of business that someone would pay double the price to buy our product than what they're paying for all the others. Do you think your amount of reviews is working in your favor now that you've been there for four years? It, it, it is, it is. But there is, you know, there's also a quality spectrum with our product as well. So there's, there's a really, really cheap quality and there's a really, really expensive quality. The problem is you can't see that in images. Mm. So that's been a challenge that we've had to overcome. So we've had to try and, we've had to try and uh, express that quality in images, which is really hard to do. Um, so it's brand, it's perception through images, point of sale material, just things like that. When you, when you went through um, this product selection process, was, you know, there's a, a flip, another way to do it, I should say, is um, using sales data, just actually grabbing the data. That's the thing, then go create the avatar, then create the product. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, or, or that's did, a great point, yeah. Did you, did you go, I like this sector just because? Um, because yeah. yeah, so, so yeah, a lot, of pe a lot of people kind of say, oh, don't target niches that are kind of uh, too crazy or there's too much demand. But I'm like, you know, if, I, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to target the, mm -hmm. the most in-demand niches. So we basically went through uh, anything that wasn't doing, anything that the majority or the average sales on page one wasn't over $100,000 a month, we kind of didn't, didn't look at to begin with. So we, we started by looking at things that were doing over $100,000 a month or the majority of sellers on page one. Yeah, that was an interesting point that you put somewhere in your notes here that on Amazon, you can't create demand. Correct. Which is really an interesting insight because if you think about selling for all the e-commerce sellers out there, that's a big part of your day is creating demand. It's getting traffic to your website. Whereas on Amazon, you don't have any control over that really. Yeah. Um, so the demand is there. It's just about differentiation. And so then you've got to get really, really canny about will the way I'm differentiating this product matter in the market and in the context of the top 10 or so listings, right? Because that's who yeah. you're competing against. And so many people are not great at being really objective about what they're bringing to the market. Yeah. Little things like what you said there, um, the problem with our product is you can't, there is a qualitative difference, right? But you can't see it in photos. It's like when you go and buy a Versace t-shirt or ham, let's say handbag, you can't necessarily see the difference in a Versace or a Louis Vuitton handbag until you go in the store and actually unbox it and you, then you feel it and you can see the difference in the quality because it is there. Mm. 
but it's not visible. And on Amazon, it's a visual marketplace. Yeah. Right? People yeah. look at the images. It's like Tinder. Yeah. And to better explain that point about not being able to create a, a demand on Amazon. So, for example, we said that Amazon is a search engine. No one is searching red boxing kangaroo on Amazon. So you might have the best red boxing kangaroos in the world, but you can't sell them on Amazon because there's no demand. Mm. So, James, you were saying that there's softwares uh, out there that you can basically type in a keyword search. So a product, uh, you might type in um, podcast mic and you can then see you know, it's not. It's not exact, but there's APIs that Amazon gives to these software companies and you can see an average of the sales or keyword searches that are occurring for podcast mic. And then you can you can, you know, make you can make a calculation on whether you can outcompete your, your those ten most or ten most successful competitors on page one. And that leads into into hurdle number three, which is working out Amazon keywords, a PPC, etc. So you've You've, you've got the courage, you've looked at the marketplace, and, and I often found with students, if they just look around their own home and go, what am I passionate about in my own home? What types of items am I passionate about? It's not a bad place to start, mm. just to start looking at data, like as James always does, he goes to data. So at least then you've got something to look at and compare, and, and, and th that's what I call the sort of quantitative metrics like is there enough search volume and stuff there mm -hmm. then there's the qualitative side which is what dom does dom would look at the category you're going to sell in and go oh we can beat these guys because they look crap mm -hmm. and i know how to make it look amazing um some people just have the eye like eric's wife jen's the same she can look at a property and know how to renovate it in mm -hmm. such a way that people are going to go wow and that's the soft qualitative side so You've, you've got the courage, you've found a product that you want to start checking out and an, a rough idea of the avatar, I'm guessing you're targeting, based on what you've said, the higher end of the market. Yeah, so like... But then you've got to work out the PPC yep. and keywords, which is the, the, the metric side, like how do people find it, how many people are looking and all that. So yeah, talk so, to us about that. Yeah, so I mean, this applies to Amazon as it does to, to any other business, but basically you need to understand the sales process and what goes into to that sales process. So with Amazon... Um, the way the way that I can the way that I look at it the way that I was taught to look at it is to consider each keyword as its own storefront and so um, there might be um, this microphone this pod, podcast mic might be the main keyword so the main storefront because it has 100,000 searches per month mm -hmm. But there might also be a keyword that says black podcast mic, and that might have 20,000 searches a month. There might be a keyword that says podcast mic with foam cover or material cover. And so the longer that you go with those keywords, storefronts, um, the less search volume they usually have. But sometimes in those long search volume keywords, there's an opportunity to differentiate or to have a purple mic, a purple podcast mic. When, you know, we don't know if someone is looking for that, but maybe they are, or they're looking for a mic with a red cord or whatnot. And so uh, being able to identify all of those storefronts is, is, a, is a crucial part of being successful on Amazon. What, what tools do you use to do that? Yeah, so I've the, the three tools that I've basically used through the journey and I still use are Zonguru, Helium 10, and Data Dive. Mm-hmm. 
and and you know they're and, and it's, it's critical that you spend a lot of time because in your notes here you said keywords are your business yes because you can have the product there but how people find those products and zero in like the matrix right is by using keywords and if you don't use particular when i first started selling whiskey glasses it was nine months in and i went to my mastermind and we did a keyword audit and somebody said oh how much uh, search volume, how much traffic are you getting from the, from the phrase scotch glasses as opposed to whiskey glasses? And I was like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> I was not optimized or even advertising for scotch glasses. Mm -hmm. wow. I'm like, how dumb is that, right? Like, and it was a significant amount of traffic, not as much as whiskey, but still a lot. So you use these tools to really get a massive keyword list and you use the keyword list in your advertising, but also in your sometimes in your listing itself, like the key, the bullet points, the, the headline and so yeah, on. Yeah, so I can, I, can, I can drill into the nuts and bolts of that a little bit if you like, but the, the keywords are funny, but when you're building your listing, you need to use the best and biggest keywords. So the keywords that have the highest search volume, um, the biggest storefronts. So, so building your listing, I always look at uh, the keywords with the most search volume. But when you're advertising listing, using doing PPC, you may not always convert for all the keywords. So you can't just be throwing money down the drain on keywords that you don't convert for. You need to find the keywords that you can convert for. And Amazon, is, the algorithm builds upon success. It's, it's like a law of averages. They look at averages over the last hour, averages over the last day, averages over the last seven days, relative, it's like a bell curve, relative to your competition. So if you, the, the better your conversion on a particular keyword with your PPC advertising, the better that your organic ranks uh, shoot up on Amazon. So first step is to, to find the best, highest searched, most relevant keywords for your product, build them into your listing. And then you need to, then you need to go through the process of working out which ones you can actually sell on and convert on with your pay-per-click advertising. Do you write your own listings? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I write my own listings, and that's you know, that's a you know, working out the the process on on Amazon or the sales process on any business is super important. There's a lot of people that look at Amazon as that side hustle. You know, I can I can quit my job and and do this and get con consultants to run everything for me. You know, I had a friend. I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning it. I won't I won't mention his product or anything, but you know, he spent two hundred grand launching a business. It's a, a fashion item and got onto Amazon, he couldn't make it work because, because he wasn't able to understand the mechanisms behind the PPC and the keywords. And unfortunately, the agency that he had managing his business didn't either. And to me, after, being, after doing this for three, four years, I could, it was obvious where they were making mistakes, but my friend hadn't taken the time to learn those important levers yeah, see, one the we sold seventeen thousand courses, right? And so we got a lot of the big lens into people and their success on Amazon. And inevitably, the time that I would hear about a problem was when it was like that. Somebody had come in and put a hundred grand into Amazon and was failing. Oh my God, I bought this course and da. First question I would ask them is, what did your mastermind say about this product? Mm -hmm. Now, I was really fishing for, are you in a mastermind, like we tell, told you to be? Because I know a lot of people listening right now are going to be going, oh my God, this PPC stuff, Mark's got his head around it, but I'm still completely confused. 
you are not going to learn this on the outside listening to a podcast in one and a half hours. Mm. You need to actually start, listen to what Mark said and say, okay, what's the biggest keyword in my category? I'll use those tools that he's mentioned to find the biggest keyword. And then you need to be in a mastermind. And then, you, you know, you, when you started, you were in two or three masterminds a week. Yeah. But you need to be in a mastermind where you actively sit around and go, guys, can we go through my PPC data and my keyword data and have a look at this? And that's actually how you learn in the real world. Yeah. And you greatly increase your chances of success if you are in a mastermind. And when I start on Amazon in the Hollywood Hills, me, John, and two other guys in the US, that's exactly what we did. Every month we would come together and we would pour over each other's listings and we would work together to make sure. And that's how you learn. You don't, like entrepreneurship, you jump off a cliff and you build a plane on the way down. <laughs> you are not going to learn it all up front. So for all you perfectionists listening to this, Get over it. And also entrusting agencies. I went through a Huge. shit ton as well, and not just on uh, running ads now. Is it, um, you know, there's so many that are full of shit. Yeah. They'll, they'll happily take your retainer and, and they've got fucking no idea what they're doing. Yeah. And they'll blow your business up. And you, then you think it's a product, then you think it's all your other stuff. It's not. It's just they're not pulling the right levers at the right time. Yeah. And, and we, we experienced this with the, with the new agency who are excellent, by the way, but there was just a couple of, you know, levers that weren't being pulled. Like, to, to be clear... I have no idea how to set bids. I have no idea how to, if a keyword should go into broad phrase or exact match. I have a little bit of an idea, but I wouldn't know the nuts and bolts of how to set up these campaigns and how to manage the bids. And I don't, I don't get that. But what I, what I do understand is total advertising cost of sales, so tacos, exactly where that level needs to be for my business to be profitable where I should be setting those targets, how my offer and how loss leader pricing on the most popular ASIN affects the conversion of the rest of the listing, how much organic traffic that drives. I understand all of those other levers that are important to any business and therefore I'm able to direct uh, my agencies when I see things that aren't going the way that I want them to go to try something new yeah over, over, overall strategy you'll call it and every every dial in there that can have a five percent ten percent bump along the way through and been able to articulate that and instruct it to an agency yep. um i guarantee most agencies when you do come with that level of intelligence they're like who the fuck are you oh it, it, it it's been one of the hard, you know it's been one of the hardest things and we'll talk about managing people and under managing people i put managing agencies but um that communication point because like you see something and it's like it means so much to you because it's like your life on the line mm. and they're like we have a system bro and it's like mate <laughs> you don't <laughs> i got another question about um the masterminds I, I think it's very important also to have a mastermind that will tell you that your product is shit and not just people that agree with you because i think what happens is people feel bad to tell you you know you got a snot in your nose you know what i mean they'll look at you and talk to you for half an hour and not tell you you know, and I think that's the same thing about, hey, your product is shit. To be honest with you, like, why are you choosing that color? I think you're totally wrong because that's what a mastermind is all about, is about constructive criticism. Now, the question that I have for you is, would the people in the mastermind, do they all have to be in Amazon as well? Or, for instance, if I'm in e-com and, and we're in different types of businesses, is a mastermind still powerful if you have an Amazon business and we don't? Or is it more powerful that everyone would have to have an Amazon business? Look, 
uh, horses for courses, right? Like if, if, if you're trying to improve PPC, have a mastermind specifically for PPC. But the most important masterminds or mentorships for me haven't necessarily been masterminds. It's been one-on-one communication. So when I'm, when I'm able to reach out to someone and have one-on-one conversations, I find they're always more effective because we can really deep dive into the issue. So, you know, um, um, Brandon Young is a, is a course that I signed up to and he, he runs like a weekly office hours type mastermind where you can ask questions and then you've got a bunch of people that will help. Um, but, but building those one-to-one relationships, really, really important. But I would say the entrepreneurial masterminds, much more important than the specific PPC masterminds because it's that honest feedback that you talk about that so few people are willing to give in a mastermind, a new mastermind. They're like, they pussyfoot around it. Yeah, and you, and you really want to be wary of like masterminds where it's four or five people who've just bought a course and they're all shit scared. Like, oh my God, like, what do you think, Mark? And what do you think, James? And they're like gazelles, right? They're just like twitching out. You need people who um, are focused, committed, hungry, and, and are saying like, if my product sucks, just tell me. Yeah. You want those people who are at that point in their life that have either had some success or they're tired of not having success. But the ones who are like, neither of those things can be dangerous masterminds. They've got to be in that headspace of, I came to win. And and, and I I think that's critical. And and this just isn't Amazon, right? It's it's every business, it's life, it's e-com, it's property, it's you you name it, right? You wanna be surrounding yourself with people that know more than you, number one, and will tell you the truth. Yeah, and and, you know, don't, don't be, don't be afraid to politely excuse yourself from a mastermind once you think once you think you've outgrown it. If it if it's no longer serving you and your business has gone to another level, and it it, it, it is okay so to excuse it's yourself. It's essential it's that essential, you right? that you excuse yourself. It's not only it's essential because at the end of the day, you, you you're not here. You're not in business for love. You're yeah. in business for freedom, and yeah. and that's and and. And to Eric's point, right, like people telling you where it's at. Like I, I remember one time we had a guy in our mastermind and his product just wasn't landing. And, and you know, he gave us all one and, and I didn't even want to wear it because it just didn't, wasn't, I didn't think it was cool. And I, and I, I tried to communicate that in a way to like try something. Try, I don't know what the answer is, but try something else to, to try and see if you can get it to land. Maybe make it a little bit more simple and whatnot there was a lot of meaning behind it right but but i don't think it landed from a from a aesthetic point of view and i got pretty passionate during that conversation saying you know you got to try something you got to do something and at the end of the at the end of the call dom said how can you be so sure that what what you said is going to work i said dom i'm not i said but i'm sure that what's currently being put out to the market isn't working and that I'll do whatever it takes and I'll try as many times as I need to to get something to land because that's, that's the way we move forward. So we need to build that certainty of decision and having a mastermind helps you to say, when they're like, yeah, go for that, try that because no one knows if it's going to work. Certainty of outcome doesn't exist. I think it's important to also know when to pull the plug full stop as well. Ah, yeah. you know, there's, how many times can you... Um, Rebadge yep. this, this turn, you know. Amazon is, and, and this is a thing for people, and I think business, but particularly Amazon. Amazon is a, an instant feedback machine. The market is enormous yeah. and it's rarely wrong and it's not personal. 
And sometimes yes. people spend months on developing something, take it to market, the market's just not buying it. And then you can drop the price, drop the price, and then it might work at that price. And you're like, well, I can't sell it at that price, right? It's because you, you just didn't nail it enough to get the price that you need. Or sometimes you've got to let it grow in reviews and all that. But the point is, it's not personal. When yeah. you take it to the yeah. market, if the, if the market says no, I, I have seen people, I mean, I've got products that have failed and I've had products that have made me a fortune. You're the same, right? So same entrepreneur, same market, same time, different product. Mm. And people take it so personally. And you're like, it's, dude, it ain't personal. I mean, how many of us here have had failures? We've all failed. Except, Sometimes, except for Eric. No, no, I failed. Have you seen these shorts? I failed this morning. I failed this morning by the looks of it. But like you said in, in, in your notes, fail fast, uh, fail fast. Um, fail forward. Fail, yeah, fail yeah. early. So, um, yeah, fair so, so you, the next one here uh, is hurdle number four, so you, which is setbacks, pricing, profit, and hijackers. This is basically just shit that happens when you're selling on Amazon. And on Amazon, there are a lot of things that, um, that can go wrong. Uh, like your supplier puts their prices up, Amazon uh, AI bot thinks that you're a fraud and then suspends your account mm. um, and then you can't even call up even if you've got $100,000 of inventory sitting in the warehouse, there's no phone number that's going to pick up and say, hey Mark, how can we help you? <laughs> you've got to sit there and deal with an automated AI bot for sometimes months to get unsuspended. There are real challenges there. So what, how do you overcome those things? Yeah, all those things that you mentioned have happened to us. Uh, I can go into some stories. But, you know, basically the word that I put it at the end of that uh, leap or that hurdle is resilience. Mm. We, have to, we have to build resilience. And, and it comes back to the mastermind or the one-to-one -one communication. Again. Somebody in the world or in your community has gone through that challenge. I remember Udi, who's one of our most successful students, at that time, he was doing 25 million a year. His whole account got suspended. Like, I mean, overnight, just suspended. Mm. He has massive infrastructure. Uh, he's in the suitcase industry. He, he doesn't mind me saying that because he's public mm. about it. He sells suitcases. Most of his business is Amazon UK. About 90% of that 20 million or 25 million is Amazon UK. His response was remarkable. He's just like, it's just something to overcome. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> You know, I'm just thinking about this on, on, the, on the spot, but it's like what, what builds resilience? And I think part of what builds resilience is seeing that other people have gone through the same thing and how they deal with it. You know, seeing Udi be like, oh, it's just a product or seeing other people go through those challenges and be okay with it. You're like, oh, okay, it's not the end of the world. You know, shit, shit isn't over. Makes you feel normal. It, it makes you... It, Adam spoke about it with, you know, taking it personally when your product doesn't sell. Oh, that's a big one for me. Like, you know, I take a lot of things personally. I'm very defensive sometimes. And, and it's kind of getting over that. It's, it's not about... It, I, I'm, I didn't fail. It just that, that didn't work. Yeah. It's all about testing and measuring, right? Like, yeah. throw them out at the wall, see what sticks. Like, this is business, you yeah, know? Yeah. You, you'd be doing that right now, James, in your business, right? How much testing and measuring are you doing? Oh, daily. Yeah. to get it working. I guess just on the, from the Amazon piece there for, you know, um, the people that are looking to uh, become unemployable and get out of the rat races, Amazon's such a good, with all the pitfalls we just spoke about, it's such a good platform to actually go in with five or ten grand and test your metal. Yeah. You get the experience and if it fucks up, well, it's five grand 
it, or 10 grand, whatever you know, your MOQ on your first order might be. Sure, mm. you put some time to branding and maybe a trademark and all the other stuff that goes with it, but it's not like you're going into a, a property development for argument's sake and you're tying up eight or nine million bucks on your neck and the market capitulates and turns against you and you're caught holding a shitload of stock when the valuations don't come in. Ask me how I know. That sounds uh, familiar. <laughs> ask me how I know. Um, so but it's, a, it's a great testing platform. Um, Been through the property one as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a hundred percent. And and you know, like I always say, minimum viable product. And and mm. we, we we recently made this mistake. You know, we we recently launched our fourth product, and we had the best. We found the best photographers out of New York, and we had the best photo shoot ever. We got models and all. We spent like fifteen twenty grand on the whole thing, US. And the product in the first couple of months is having problems. There's issues inherent in the offer and the product that I need to solve. And so if you're just starting out, don't go spending 20 grand on your photos. Just get the minimum viable product. Get, get a render, get a, a stock photo. Do whatever you can to get it up and test the market. Correct. Get the nuts and bolts of it working and then you can develop it a little bit later. And but a lot of people, it comes back to that that pride and, and they, they want it to be perfect and things like that. But like, there's no, no such thing in business. They, they get emotionally wrapped up in it. Yeah, so. sure. but that's what we do in, in, in the e-com business as well when we're starting new brands and new products. We don't go out and buy 100,000 units straight away, right? You test it, you know? But we made the same mistake when we bought the cafe when I was 18. We're like, oh, we'll take over this lease. We'll spend five grand sprucing it up and then we'll flip the business. We ended up spending 60 grand and it's like... Why? Because, well, we're going to be working in this cafe. We want it to look good. But those things weren't important. You you have to test the concept. All right, number five. Let's move on. Funding, supplier agreements, cash flow, et cetera. So resourcefulness is the next hurdle to overcome because as you grow, you need to fund it. And I think for a lot of people early on in the pod, when you said, oh, we were into it for about 800 grand, that freaks a lot of people out. So how do you get there when you don't have 800 grand? Yeah, and uh, sorry that 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 was actually that was actually over nine nine nineteen eighteen twenty. I think it was nearly three years that it took to to get to that. But that that eight hundred was that eight hundred cold hard cash that you had in your bank account, or was that reinvesting profits? So, so I was always reinvesting profits, but we had to put eight hundred grand cold hard cash to get the business to this level. Now a lot of businesses have gotten to this level without having that much cash because you can get you can get financing for you you can get product financing you can get ANZ financing there's a lot of uh, product financing solutions out why there why haven't you used that um, I, I did I did I, I, I basically put the money up myself because I had it recently I got a I got a loan but the, the money's kind of just sitting there to grow and I haven't used it um so I, I, I don't know. I used it because I had it, but and because and I I'm a bit I'm an old European tight ass. I was just you took it. <laughs> and I, oh, you beat and me like, to it, mate. <laughs> and I'm like, pay pay ten percent interest or use my money. I use my money, but yeah, it's probably handicapped my my growth in other opportunities. Right. But to get back to the question, in in reality, let's say somebody's listening to this and they've got twenty grand to start. You know what? What yep. would they do? Like, so, so, I know you guys have done incredibly well at at MX Store of compounding using internal cash flow, right? Well, yep. we, we internal cash flow and terms. You yes. know that, that like terms is what's really built 
which is which is finance, right? You know, right? Which is finance. So what yeah, you're yeah. talking it's about just someone is someone else is financing it, right? You're just saying getting the supplier to give you longer to pay, correct? So that you can sell the product and pay them back before you have to pay. Correct. It. So like the key is to sell that product multiple times before you actually have to pay it back. Yeah. Right. And that's that's where. A lot of this is a really big area yeah. of, of, of growing the, these types of businesses because they're so capital intensive. And, and pressure, pressure creates diamonds, right? Like I had some capital, so I put it in. But if I didn't have the capital, I would have to find a more resourceful way of doing it. And a big one that we haven't done yet but we need to do, and I think, I think we're going to head to China in April, is, is to negotiate our terms, mm. right? To get better terms. That's a huge one, especially when you're starting out, to get longer terms. Yeah, uh, but in reality, can you get it long enough that you have it shipped from China into Amazon and sell it before you owe them the money? Yeah, That's I mean, the bottom line. Well, so the other thing, you know, some a lot of people get fixated on profit margin. You know, my mm-hmm. profit margin needs to be 20%. I would say when you're starting out, if your profit margin is only 5 or 10%, but your ROI on that product is 120%, that's okay. Mm. Now, what that basically means is that for every unit that you sell at uh, a dollar, uh, sorry, Say every unit you buy for a dollar, you're getting a dollar twenty back. So you're using that extra twenty cents to fund the next orders, right? So as long as you can fund those first orders, and you've got an ROI above hundred percent, then you can continue to fund your growth. Slower, but you can fund your growth. A lot of the problem is people have too many products with a low ROI, and they don't spread it out. So you need you need a mix. James, James, and I both just used NAB Finance recently. And what was your experience with that, James? We're just going through it right now. Yeah. Um, but they're, um, it's slower than usual to get it put together. It always is. It takes months. Uh, we were speaking to them yesterday, actually, in the green light. We were just waiting on some other financials. But their points since we first started, there's been a couple of interest rate rises, is 11% per annum on a half brick facility over 180 days. So I'm like, that's great. All well, what's stuff. a brick? You keep saying million bricks. Bucks. What's a brick? <laughs> million bucks. Oh, okay, Gangster. Yeah. What they call yeah, I just want to make sure that everyone knows what a brick is. So, so, so you get is. a half a million dollar... Uh, line of credit from the NAB, Correct. National Australia Bank, and they're charging 11%, but it's a six-month facility, right? I've got the same facility. So what that means for the listeners is James can get an invoice um, from a supplier and he can pay that invoice from NAB and NAB will pay the invoice. Let's say it's for half a million dollars. Um, in six months from now, you have to pay back the half a million dollars plus interest at a rate of 10% because you've had it for six months effectively it's 5% correct correct so you have to pay 500,000 and 25,000 dollars in interest and they give you six months right so in other words you've got six months to sell that inventory make all the margin on it and you pay them I've been using it it's been an absolute game changer and for if, my business and if even for um, I don't know whether your stuff's freightable or not but if you're using sea freight and the um, usual lead time it's you know anywhere from 45 to 60 days it's around about a 90, 90 day um, inventory cycle so in a 180-day uh, facility, you've got two cycles out of the same money. So you can turn it over twice, mm. uh, which is nuts. And then if you um, with a higher ticket thing, and this is probably, you probably can't do it on Amazon, well, you can't, is if you start selling back orders. And we learned this the hard way when you run out of stock. You start uh, creating more need and urgency around it and start selling back orders. So you're not only get the money, finance the money, you're selling stuff you haven't actually got. We just did that. 
20% of the inventory was sold before the container had even landed. Totally. And, and, and not, as soon as it landed, it just unpacked and went, which was great. And, and not on terms either. Was that there's not a 50% down payment. Right? It's a it's full tilt. There's great urgency around it. We only got two coming. It's 100% down. No, I might, I might wait 60, 80 days. Yeah, we, that's how we closed a lot of sales yeah. was, hey, you know, the container's already selling out that hasn't landed yet. So this is, this is a first-class first problem. Like once, we get, once you get to this point, your proof of concept has been proven and, and whatnot, um, th these ways are fantastic. If someone is just starting out, there's other things you can do. Part, if you've got the idea and you've got the willingness to work, partner with someone that is willing to invest this uh, again, has the money. This again, point number, hurdle number five, funding, supply agreements, cash flow. That's where your mentorship, that's where your mastermind comes in handy because it is just a problem to overcome. So many people think, oh, I don't have the money. I don't have 800 grand, I'm out. No, there's so much money out there, guys. If you've got a business that's growing that needs $800,000 to keep growing, trust me, there is a shitload of money waiting for you. I had a friend and he came to me for some advice in, on this topic and he got a new supplier and he saved about 30%, which was massive, right? And it's already a very successful business, but cash flow is an issue, right? Mm. To get the stock. And I said to him, I said, because terms was the issue. They wouldn't give him terms, right? And the terms are very, very, very small. Mm. 30 day term is an example, which is a standard term in Australia. And I told him, you've already saved 30%. Have you just thought to yourself, why don't you go back to them and say, listen, if I pay you, they don't know you've saved 30%. You know, you've saved 30%, right? So they think they're getting a good deal. If you go back to them and say, listen, how about if I pay you X percent more, but you give me 90 day terms? If you know that you're turning over that product, right, multiple times in that time, it's going to be well worth it. Yeah. If, you, if you don't go down the external uh, financing model as an example, right? So again, that's just another way of looking at it, right? And hence being around people that understand money and, and turnover and cash flow. Yeah. These are the little things that you can, you can think about because you're already saving 30%. So what if you save 20%, give him an extra 10%, they're going to go, actually, you know what? We're already making good margin. He's going to give us another 10%. And sure, I'll give him an extra 30 days or, you know, 60 days. This is an and, area that, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and that's why this comes after the working at Amazon, right? Like it, mm. it, it literally does come in steps and, and why then these masterminds become so much more important. I asked... Um, there's an accountant who does all my EMDG grants, so so it's it's an export um, grant that is offered in Australia. I said, what's what's? I was curious. What's the number one reason why people succeed and why people failure based fail based on what you've seen? And and he basically said those who succeed have generally had some experience with these parts of business out of Amazon or have access to someone with these these experiences outside of Amazon. So it's not always about your revenue or your profit. It's, it's about these inner workings of how to Finance. get cash flow, how to turn over things, how, you know. When I, when I met with NAB on the inventory financing, uh, you know, I'm with NAB Private, and they said to me, and I, I can almost quote you, because one of my favorite questions is, is, is asking people who are connected into high net worth people, what are the high net worth people doing? Like, I do this with my accountant, I do it with my bankers. Like, what are people that my level and above doing that mm. I'm not doing? And they said, Adam, none of our clients at this level have their own money in inventory. Are you serious? <laughs> Why would you? Like, 
No, they have a facility with us. We pay all their inventory. They just pay us back six months later. And that's how we make money. They make money. That's it. There's no limit to uh, inventory, like how much inventory they can have. It's just whether their business is big enough to sustain it. And I was just like, what the hell? How long has this shit been going on? Like, because I've been come from nothing, you think you, you only trade with what's in your wallet, right? There you go. But as you get older and more experienced, and it's just like that big shift in thinking that most working class people listening to this are so limited in a cage that they're like a fish in a tank doesn't well, even realise the tank's and there. And it applies to and us too. Like, I, t- I totally... Like, to, to me... Like, I'm a working class like, you've just, totally you've just, you've just, like You've just said to me, Mark, what, what the hell are you doing with your own money in that business? Like, totally. I have to make that shift. So I'm learning something. Too wog, well, mate. You're too yeah. wog. Well, yeah. <laughs> well it's, that, it's that mentality, right, of, you know, oh, debt is bad. Debt is bad. You know, we've all been taught that, oh, but there is such a, a thing as good debt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're borrowing money off someone at 10% and you're making 50, who's the smarter guy? Mm. <laughs> you know? If you know what you're doing and, you know, I'm learning this in real estate. One of my really good friends, Lebanese developer, phenomenally successful. And I said, do you take much debt? What's your LVR? He goes, Adam, I will take as much money as the banks will give me. <laughs> yeah. I am a capital allocator because I know how to allocate the capital better than they do. Yeah. And Udi said the same thing. That's he, great... At the time, he had $50 million of real estate and he said to me, Adam, I will take Jeff Bezos. He just took money from everybody that would give him money at the right price. He would just take, 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 take. Because he said, what, you're going to give it to me at 10%? Do you know how much I can grow that with my machine at Amazon? Great. Give it to me. I, I love that. That's I can allocate debt better than they can. Like, yeah. how's that mindset? That, it's that, a totally different mindset. Those two words, capital allocator, I mean... We, we need to do some training on that because totally that's 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 what, that's what my, one of, of my big shifts this year coming to this year is I, i'm going to pay more attention to my family office now family office is not a phrase that i've used for very long it's only something now in the last couple of years as my wealth has grown and i'm going oh i actually have capital now to allocate and to, and so it's that getting the browns planes yeah. guy out of my head and getting into no you're a family office now you need to treat your capital as such and your planning as such and for, for the entrepreneurs listening to this, you need to start going, okay, money is only an issue because I grew up poor, I grew up middle class Australian. Nobody taught me about cash flow, financing, inventory, financing with NAB, investment. Eric was the investor in MX Store early on. You need to start learning that shit and mm-hmm. just let go of your identity of being a povo person, <laughs> right? It, it, people, t- people tie so much self-worth and emotion into money and you know those who are really really good with money kind of use it like a football it's just yeah. it's just like a, a tool that they yeah, kick totally, around totally, to play totally. the game and they're not afraid as much as we are when That's we're right. so emotionally attached let's kick on these last three scaling operations which is number six so now you've got this money come in like you've solved the money problem you've solved the product problem now you've got to scale the operations side <laughs> yes. what, what does that mean so you realize that you're basically wearing all the hats and doing everything yourself and you're like shit this is this is a a job just you know what does it stand yeah, just for over just broke. over broke and you're like oh, i can't keep doing this because if i keep growing at this level i'm gonna go insane because there's just so much work to do so it's it's starting to put um systems in place uh to to allow things to kind of so you can um, basically employ someone to do that job or to, to hire someone to, to take over that part of the business. So it's building systems based on, on 
Yeah. yeah I mean, that, that, that each of these can be simple. a pod on their own. But yeah, there's a great book on systems if anyone is interested. It's called The E-Myth, The Entrepreneurial Myth by Michael Gerber. And it, uh, it's a story about Ray Kroc, who started McDonald's, probably one of the best ever systemized businesses. Vern Harnish has a great book on it as yeah. well. Scaling Vern, Up. Scaling, scaling Up by yep. Vern Harnish. That's actually is, in is, point eight. Oh, is it? I oh, didn't it's see. not there, but it... it, it yeah, that's a phenomenal book. <laughs> yeah. And another one for all the creative people out there, even though it's not really linked to e-commerce, is Built to Sell by John Warlow. Mm-hmm. Uh, phenomenal book about systems in business. So, okay, number seven, managing people and your own demons. Yeah, so, I mean, your demons are with you the whole way through. And, and you know, there's a saying that the biggest chokehold in, in any business is always the owner, and that's true. But, but managing people and relationships, I think in, in life in general, relationships are super important. Uh, your relationship with your partner, your friends, etc., and And they can sometimes bring out your shortcomings and shortfalls. So learning how to communicate uh, and I think, you know, point seven is, is from my, from my um, knowledge and the people that I've spoken to in the Amazon space, it's when people get to point seven that they put their Amazon business on the market because they're like, fuck hiring people and doing all this. It's not for me. I'm, I've had enough of it. I'm going to sell the business because it's maybe worth, when you get to this point, your business may be worth one, two, three million US. And a lot of people cash out at that point because they're like, I, I just, I don't want the headaches of learning how to manage people and systems. Yeah, look, points point six, seven, and eight are pretty much one in, it tied up, wrapped up in the, in the whole uh, piece together. And I, I threw a nine on here, which I'll, I'll tie back into that. And that's, um, you know, you've got putting an operating system in your business adds value to it intrinsically yep. and the people to be able to manage it without you and get out of the weeds. Yep. Um, what, what was the, or have you had thought around um, how long I'm going to hold on to brand one? Because they do have a, tend to have a, a time cycle on, on Amazon. And there was a hell of a rage um, going through the COVID with all the aggregators snapping up all these Amazon businesses. Yeah. So has that, when you look at point six, seven, eight, and then number nine, is, have you got an exit strategy, target date, et cetera? So we've spoken about this on previous pods, but I think the business buying cycle and the aggregator cycle is aligned to the macroeconomic cycle. So when there's more liquidity and cash to splash in the system, that the price of these businesses uh, reach a peak. And then when the economic tide turns down, uh, they, they, and we're probably, you know, we may be coming out of that now. So I, I, if I was going to sell the first business and it, and it has crossed my mind from a shit, <laughs> I'm no good at this. Why, why am I, why am I still doing this to, you know, maybe it's a good idea to, to take a, some chips off the table here to be able to invest in the next brand and other opportunities. I kind of look at, um, 2025, 2026 as being when the macro will be good. Um, so I'm targeting. What, about, what are you What are you thinking that you'll get as a multiple uh, on your earnings? I, I think as a bare minimum, I would want three, three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the next two years, I, I'm planning to to do a little bit more around the brand and the list building, and you know, depending on the market at the time, because that, that's a factor. But it, it could be as high as four, five, five and a half, six. Uh, there's people that have gotten six. And and how automated they are, and that comes back to point six, seven, and eight as well. If Correct. You get that where it's hands off, and you to walk in, walk out. Correct. If, I, if I'm selling someone an Amazon business with Amazon listings and no systems, no. then they'll probably pay three and a half. But if I'm selling someone an Amazon business with products, profit, systems, the people, the supplier agreements, the extended terms, and a brand and a list and more room to grow, 
then are, are you planning on taking it off Amazon as well in that time or just I, I'm, I'm gonna take it off Amazon I don't know how how hard I'm gonna go on Facebook Google and all those but I'm, I'm definitely gonna take it off Amazon because we get so much traffic to our website mm. you know people go on Amazon they look at our brand they go to our website and we're not retargeting any of that traffic and that those that traffic would be the, the cheapest traffic that I could ever get people that are coming to my website if I can because I won't be paying all the the, the uh, the fees. Uh, so I'm going to do that from that point of view. Um, there's something else I was going to say. Oh, and, and email marketing, I think is a big, and once you've got that list, it's so underutilized. Again, the cheaper sales you can make are email marketing. Yeah. I think you're bang on when it comes to, you know, the uh, macroeconomics of everything. Like when you look back at what Culture Kings sold for mm. at the peak of COVID, plenty of money being splashed in the market, you know, by government, plenty of spending. Like he couldn't have timed that sale any any better. You know, like mm. you look at what that would be worth today, it would be a lot less. Mm -hmm. We we sit down with KPMG quite regularly, mm. um, and they've they've showed us a lot of data on some of the sales that have happened in in their mergers and acquisitions team. Like uh, there was there was uh, one company called Allbirds, you know those mm. shoes. Yeah, the shoes. Yep, yep. Like the multiple was was ridiculous. You know, and they explain exactly why they got that multiple and those you know that intellectual property like getting terms imagine going to china no one gets terms if you go to china and all of a sudden you get terms what is that worth exactly you know to the value of that business because because the people that are buying your businesses especially if they're aggregators they understand the value of those terms because they can use that cash to make so much more cash yeah that's a really products. valuable um thing in an exit yeah and, and that's why like when you look at what people get as a multiple, it, it's, it changes business to business because mm. it depends on that, what moat they've created, yes. you know, and those terms are a moat that is built over years of relationships, not yep. just over 12 months, you know, it's 10, 12 years, depending how long, five years in a business of getting terms, paying, getting product, paying, just like a bank. Yeah. A bank is no different. You're building a relationship with your bank every day yeah uh, there's, right. there's youtube videos on how to get terms but it doesn't work like that in the real world like you said it's a relationship it's all relationship over many and, years and, and something i would encourage listeners to do if you which adjusted my thinking massively is when i went to china and visited my suppliers i've got photos in my phone i could show you when i was selling whiskey glasses and I, i'm i'm just sitting in australia right thinking oh you know i'm doing a million two million dollars a year in sales of whiskey glasses and i'm thinking i'm a high roller right I go over to this factory in the Habai province and uh, that's a whole story in itself. But anyway, I get to this factory and she starts walking me around this place and it is certifiably enormous. Like we're walking for like 10 minutes through this one warehouse and it is floor to ceiling and I'm talking high ceilings um, stacked with pallets going oh this is going to saudi arabia saudi arabia these ones are going to this and i'm talking like thousand square meter footprints of pallets right saudi arabia turkey you know blah blah blah, blah. yours is over here and i go over there there's like five pallets in the corner it's humbling and, and i'm like no but it, but, it, but, it, but yeah yeah no but it was also like I'm going to fucking ask for terms. Yeah. Because my account, like, I'm like, this is nothing. You know, they had hundreds of people making glasses. And I remember watching the glasses come out of the machines. And, like, I've got photos. It's mind-blowing. I, I might actually try and dig them out to give to Greg to throw up here. 
but it's just like oh my god like i'm worried about asking for terms on like 150 grand of stock yeah. these guys it's nothing and like they, i'm a tiny customer at that they point. want you to succeed it's of in their course. best interest and, and they, i'm thinking oh they're poor chinese fuck that they're <laughs> making so much money right like I went. I, I was buying a, a decanter once off a company, and the, the decanter. I thought, oh, they're just a little decanter company. They were selling bongs at like <laughs> fucking um, industrial scale. Like they had, I don't know, five hundred people making bongs. <laughs> you know, just literally, they had glass dildos. They had like all this shit that they were making in this one factory. And then I was buying this one decanter. You know, it, was, it just changes your mind about the size of the world and what's possible. It's amazing yeah. what you can do with glass, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you tell wow. the story. All right, moving along. Last one, and then we're going to wind this up. Getting out of the weeds and focus on strategy and execution is the last hurdle. Yeah, that's which is what I talked about right at the start with getting out of the weeds. These days, I know as an experienced entrepreneur, when I'm in the weeds really early, and I'm like, there, there is. I just want to qualify before I ask you about this one. My wife at the moment is building our nonprofit. And I said, honey, you need to learn the stuff that you're going to outsource, but only to the point where you really understand it and you know what it takes so that when you are going to hand this off, you, nobody can bullshit you. But do not get stuck in that or you'll never, ever scale because she's a perfectionist, like 1,000%. So um, it is important that you get out of the weeds, recognize when you're in them, understand why you're there, and then get the fuck out. Mm. Uh, this one's huge. This is where we're at now. Um yeah, I think part of you know, responsibility is is always very high on an entrepreneur's list as a, as a strength, and sometimes we take too much responsibility and we try to try to be the hero. And and you know that this is a big one for me. And and you mentioned scaling up the book, and they basically have four pillars of scaling up, and it's people, cash, strategy, and execution. And this is where we're at at the moment. We're trying to work on the cash flow, the strategy. Uh, the people and the execution and I extend this one to my staff so I've got I've brought on like a uh, a business partner for the second brand and I'm, I'm kind of meshing the two brands together from an Amazon perspective and I've got an ops manager and I'm basically saying to them we all the executive team right we all have to fire ourselves to promote ourselves we all have to get out of the weeds so this is like a, a a business-wide focus for us to get out of the weeds so that we can focus on the strategy and the execution and, and hire people under us that are better than us to do the tasks that we've been doing on the daily. And I think this is what's going to create the value. You know, it's arbitrary, like that, that goal of living to 120 creates more stress than, than what, it, what, it, what you need. But, you know, the goal of getting like a, um, an eight-figure exit, uh, we've always had a goal of getting an eight-figure exit, and I think this is kind of... Where, how we can get there through this last point mm. how many employees do you actually have so so we've got uh so I'll, I'll keep the second brand aside for a minute so in the first brand we've got an ops manager um and then we've got like an ops assistant it's very very casual part-time and we've got a seller central uh it's it's also part-time so so they, they're earning around about uh, 650 US a month those those um, kind of part-time roles and then the ops manager is on a wage and then we outsource PPC uh, we outsource creative and we have a de- we actually have a designer and retainer as well where's your ops manager uh, in Italy Italy yeah okay how did you find them uh, ops manager was through LinkedIn um, how did you find them on LinkedIn what did you do? Uh, so, yeah. So the ops manager was my biggest hire 
to date, uh, it was in what, 2021, and uh, basically there's a one-month process um, basi- trying to create a purple cow job description. Um, uh, what did we do? We, and then you, you get just so many people just with these plain old resumes and you're thinking, oh, it's not hard to stand out. So for people who are listening, purple cow means an outstanding... Uh, job description. An outstanding job. If you were drive down a road and see a field full of cows, yours would be the purple cow. Yeah, so Seth we, Godin. we actually had I actually had a, a reference to Star Wars. We're trying to find our our Yoda, and the person that ended up getting the job, Eleonora, was um, uh, she she is a Star Wars fan. So that is what attracted her to the job interview in the first place. So, so you've job. got like four staff and four million dollars of revenue. Yep, that's not a bad dollar per employee rate no and that, that, that therein lies one of the super attractive things of amazon for all the shit that i've talked about amazon because i've been around it for a long time and i've seen a lot of people hurt themselves by being under informed and alone mostly um there therein lies the reason that it's so powerful is because you get to access their infrastructure and yeah. their marketing and their traffic. So you don't need to worry about traffic. You don't need to worry about a warehouse. You don't need to worry about fulfillment. All your inventory is sitting in Amazon's warehouses in America, direct from China to America. For those who missed it when Mark said it earlier, I sold a product while I was in Bali from a supplier I've never met, from a warehouse that I've never been to, to a customer I've never met. That's really, really powerful. You know, for James and I, who sell, he sells healthcare products, I sell toilets, I guess they're a healthcare product in some way. We have warehouse. He has his own warehouses. I have a 3PL, a third-party logistics warehouse, but it's a different thing, and there's real costs with that as as opposed to you. It's different. Yeah, we we have the 3PLs as well. We, yeah. we just you know mainly for busy periods and things like that. So but you ship to a, a warehouse in America that's yeah. not Amazon, and then you yeah. just dump them yeah. across. Yeah, but but yeah, and it's like sometimes we make things way more difficult than what they need to be. You know, go out there and try and find the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. And your ops manager, did you say 650 US a month? No, so sorry. So sorry. so we have we have like um like a VA and uh, a part-time seller central manager. Yep. Yep. And so they they work remotely and they're on around about 650 US and, a month. And the ops manager work. roughly. The, the ops managers uh, yeah, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing, but the ops managers are on I think it's about forty-five or fifty thousand euro a year. Forty-five yep. to fifty thousand. And and what would that cost to get an ops manager of that quality in Australia? Just out of curiosity, you think? Yeah, well, it's probably more expensive. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I What's mean, the euro could, exchange? Yeah, what is the euro now? Two to one. Close. Would it be yeah, very very close? 80. That fifty is probably about eighty-five. But, eighty-five. Yeah. But, but but I mean, it is important, you know, especially when you're starting out and, and cash and cash flow is a problem to kind of leverage in a remote world, leverage uh, these resources, sure. you know, and and. You know, the cost of living in some of these places is a little bit lower than what it is in a big city like Melbourne and Sydney. Um, but, you know, the exchange, the Australian exchange rates is so low now, so, some, so it brings Australian staff back into play a little bit more as well. Yeah, it does. Because you're earning US dollars. Yeah, I, I went to Europe this summer and I was taught to multiple people, as I do, and the average wage there is seven to 800 euros a month. Mm. So if someone's on 50,000 euros a year, ops manager working remotely, it's a pretty good gig. Mm. Yeah, and, and exactly. And it, it, uh, that was really important for her, the whole lifestyle change and, and whatnot. And, 
you know, people worry about that. They're like, oh, they're going to try and rip me off for time. And it's like, well, that, that comes down to our selection process. We need to try and hire people that we trust. And if we don't, fire quickly. But, you know, I'm sure um, she puts in so much more effort than what, than what she's required to do in, in the contract. Mm, she, she, she's a star. And, you know, to your point before, someone said, if you take your eyes off the business for 30 days and if you come back, is the business still alive? You know, you know this year going through some, some anxiety and stress and difficulties, there was times where I couldn't, couldn't be present in the business and she basically took care of a lot of that and... I listened to Patrick Bet David, you know, on a podcast recently, and he said somebody asked him, "Pat, what is your number one priority for 2024?" And he said, "Easy, hiring a players. That's it." We've spoken about I, that. Yeah, and he we? said, "I will pay top dollar for an A player because an A player is not 10 or 20 percent better. It's like five to 10x better is the outcome." Hermosi says for, the same thing. Hermosi mm-hmm. says the same thing. So that's why you, you need to recruit. for, and, and when you're coming up and you've got no money, you're always like the cheapest, the cheapest, the cheapest. Mm-hmm. Now I will filter out entire countries without naming them on Upwork because I just cannot deal mm-hmm. with the mindset that is so prevalent, you know, there. So this, it's just, um, yeah. It's, it's a mindset, right? Like I remember you saying before, Adam, when you're um, negotiating pricing with the Chinese suppliers, an example, rather than asking, can I get it 10% cheaper? If I pay 10% more, how much better can you make it? Mm. It's a mindset. Mm. Totally. Alex did that with his editing for his channel. Mm-hmm. He got a guy editing clips for him and, he's, and he said, here's my podcast. I want a trailer. Bring it back to me in two days. And the guy bring it back and he says, okay, this is good. What if I gave you four days? And the guy goes, let me come back to you. And it's way better. He says, what if I gave you a full week? And he came back and he's like, amazing cinematic he goes all right it's what that's what it is i i need that <laughs> you yeah. know and so that's what that's what we're do- doing here's why we hired greg you know best in class um that's the mindset that we bring to recruiting and it's just something that you learn as you mature as an entrepreneur uh is pay for the best and and but then you also have to be able to demand you know hey i'm paying you for the best um and reward them and acknowledge them yeah um and nurture them uh, don't try to be the best and hire B players. It's not going to work. Mm. Yeah. All right, Mark, amazing. Um, this could go in so many more directions. We'll check back in. But um, hopefully for everybody listening at home, that's been a, a good start for things. Uh, ran a little long, this one, but uh, really good. You look like you want to say something, James? No. No, all good. Um, thank you guys for being here. Uh, for everybody watching, start of 2024, we uh, want to send our absolute best wishes to you out there. If you're an entrepreneur, keep going, keep dreaming, keep getting smarter. That is the key to all of this. And uh, we hope to see you soon at one of our events or anything that we've got coming up or just next week. If you haven't already, make sure you like, subscribe and drop a comment below. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, I know we're not perfect yet. We're getting there, but we read all the comments. We love the feedback and we really appreciate your attention. So bye for now, guys. Thanks for watching. Ain't nothing about this is luck, boy, this ambition. Nothing gets in our way, we on a clear mission. We making plans, we just trying to lift society. Working so hard that we growing notoriety. And we born with the drive, yeah, it's inside of me. Eric, Mark, and James, we giving game, they inspiring. Adam clear with the vision, it's so deployable. You do what you want when you live in life, unemployable. 